ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Joining me now is Christy Dosh, friend of the program, Sports Biz for Forbes, an ESPN alum. She is the author of the uh, college football book, Saturday Millionaires, and uh, the perfect guest to have this morning because, Christy, first off, good morning, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an exciting and busy time in college sports. <laughs> uh, to, to, to say the least, it's why I wanted to bring you on. I know yesterday, uh, the Supreme Court ruling, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't follow every Supreme Court ruling like the way I follow sports. Like I don't remember every single one of them, but I feel like unanimous votes aren't that common. So um, ruling in favor unanimously yesterday in the uh the case for for those of us kind of on the outside that don't understand it all what what did yesterday's ruling mean for the future of college sports you know, it's a really strong statement by the supreme court that it isn't going to tolerate certain limits at least on student athletes and the benefits that they can receive. There were also some strong statements about uh, the concept of amateurism and the way that the NCAA frames that. And so while this opinion only applies to education-related benefits, so when we talk about that, we mean things like the ability to give student athletes a laptop or to pay for study abroad or to help connect them with paid internships, you know, benefits that would be directly related to their education. Now, there can be no cap on that. And just in the decade that I've been covering college sports, we've already seen sort of the tide begin to turn this way. I mean, the first thing was, gosh, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago now um, that they decided that you couldn't cap at the cost of a scholarship, you know, that you could also go to cost of attendance. And we had all these schools that started offering cost of attendance stipends. Well, now they're saying you can't cap at cost of attendance either. You can't cap the amount of education-related benefits that student-athletes can get. And I think we're going to see schools get really creative <laughs> with what they consider education-related benefits. I can't wait to see what some of them come up with. I bet it'll be entertaining at the very least. Entertaining for sure. I mean, it's it's kind of without a – it's almost like without specific dogma or like exact details – you're kind of allowing schools to uh, cast a wide umbrella in terms of educational benefits. And, you know, I, one thing is, you know, that I've learned covering college sports, Christy, is if there's a way to make money, if there's a way to win games, and there's a way to do it within the rules, everyone's going to do it. If there's a way to do it outside the rules, some are going to do it. But if you can bend the rules, so to speak, and you don't have – uh, specific dogma here, then then that's what every program's going to do. What's in their best interest? So, you know, I, I think you tweeted this yesterday. There's kind of this wild west scenario in terms of the current state of the name, image, and likeness surrounding the NCAA. W what do you see in terms of like did did yesterday's Supreme Court decision in the NCAA versus Austin case did that change your mind in any way about what the future of NIL will look like in college sports? 
Oh, it really does. I mean, this changes on a literally a daily basis. I mean, I have a tracker on my website that I keep up with every single day based around what's happening at the state level. And I was already sort of on alert that this week was going to be a big week because the NCAA has meetings uh, today and tomorrow, the 22nd and 23rd, around name, image, and likeness legislation. And at the end of last week, it looked like the NCAA was going to push to get something passed by July 1st when at least six states have laws going into effect. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, sent around a letter to all of his members and said, basically, hey, we've got to get this passed before July 1st. So they already had these meetings set up the 22nd and 23rd. They set up an emergency meeting for the 28th so that if they needed one more before that July 1st deadline, they would have it. And then over the weekend, everything changed because apparently a letter went out from several college commissioners, including commissioners from the SEC, ACC, and PAC-12, saying that they do not think the NCAA should pass overarching legislation, that instead they think the NCAA should let states that have state laws go ahead and govern under those state laws so the institutions there would obviously have to abide by their own state laws, which would happen anyway. The NCAA can't override state law. But what this group said was for institutions who are in states with no law, let the institutions adopt their own rules Mm. and let's only put a couple of parameters around those rules. And those two parameters were that they shouldn't allow school employees or boosters to make direct payments to student-athletes, and they shouldn't allow payments in exchange for athletic performance or to uh, induce recruitment. And that's it. Otherwise, institutions could create their own rules. And so now, all of a sudden, just over the weekend, there became this movement where it sounds like maybe the NCAA will just pass something really broad, because right now their rules say you can't profit off your name, image, and likeness. So they've got to pass something um, kind of waiving that. But then they would allow state laws and individual institution rules to govern because that would take the legal liability away from the NCAA. They wouldn't have student-athletes filing antitrust claims against the NCAA. I mean, there might be some loopholes where they could, but it would largely keep that from happening. The problem is it's opening up individual institutions to liability. They're not going to like that either. So uh, it's hard to say on a day-by-day basis where this is going. It's uh, it's a fluent situation, to say the least. Christy Dosh, our guest, uh, you can check out her stuff in Forbes businessofcollegesports.com. It's a great website. She's got tons of stories there keeping you up to date. And uh, there is plenty of business in the world of college sports. But it feels like we're, um, I don't want to say the early stages, you know, we're not in, you know, I guess the prologue, but we're in kind of, I think, the early chapters of what feels like um, a big wave of change in college sports, Christy. I think five years from now, we might look back to 2021 as, okay, that's when it was kind of the, the, the Wild West was getting started. Now there's maybe a little bit more control here, but it, it feels like college sports, the way we've known it, is, uh, is a thing of the past. Is that fair to say? I think it is. I was telling somebody the other day, my sort of career in the sports media got started. I was a practicing attorney and I was blogging about sports on the side, particularly the business side of college sports. And I started covering conference realignment. And quite frankly, conference realignment changed my life because the stuff that I was writing ended up in new places. And I got a little bit of a spotlight put on myself that allowed me to leave practicing law and go work for ESPN. So I always joke conference realignment is the best thing that ever happened for my career. And then, 
you know, there's been plenty to cover over the years, but this feels to me exactly how I felt back then, that it's something I have to watch every single day because it changes on a day-by-day basis. And we're looking at the landscape of college sports changing forever in really enormous ways that we can't even predict yet because we don't know exactly what all of these rules are going to look like and then how schools are going to implement it and how brands are going to get involved and what sort of opportunities are going to be available for student athletes and what kind of impact is it going to have on recruitment? What kind of impact is it going to have in the locker room You know, when some guys are getting bigger deals than other guys are? Um, there's all these unanswered questions, but I have that same gut feeling that I had a decade ago when I first started reporting on conference realignment, that this is one of those mile marker moments. If you were writing a book about the history of college athletics, this book is going to get a chapter just as big and just as important as that last round of conference realignment. I really believe that. Christy Dodge, our guest, uh, she had an article yesterday, shortly after the news came out of the Supreme Court decision uh, over at Forbes.com, you can check it out now. What does Supreme Court decision against NCAA mean for name, image, and likeness? And uh, to some of the points you made earlier, it, it you know, what constitutes education-related benefits? I'm, I'm anxious to see, and I guess my final question, Christy, is the way this thing might play out, what, what states, and, and again, fluid situation, this, this answer could be subject to change in, you know, a couple hours, couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of years, what what states do you see potentially being at a disadvantage? Because it are we heading to a place where it's just I know that college sports is not currently a level playing field, and I know it never will be. But in terms of specifically name, image, likeness, or athletes getting paid, in terms of this discussion, is there a a state or a part of the country that you feel would be at a disadvantage under the current guidelines that that seem to be going into place? I, I don't know that it's by geography, by you know state or region. I mean, certainly we've seen that the states that are putting this into effect the earliest uh, are congregated, not only in the southeast, but also uh, sort of in the southern Midwest and uh, in the southwest. If you look at a map, actually, I've got a map on my Business to College Sports website of the states that have adopted NIL legislation. It's like the whole bottom half of the United States. <laughs> so it's sort of interesting uh, geographically how that's worked out. But I think where the divide actually is, it is somewhere in that have and have not region. Uh, uh, you know, it's a divide between the programs that have money and those that don't. Um, you know, brands aren't necessarily going to make decisions based on that, although I think student athletes at schools that already have big brand names are going to have some advantages. I think, you know, the divide between FBS and FCS starts looking even different than it already does. I think the divide between the Power Five and the Group of Five starts really looking different. I mean, I, I just think that it creates deeper uh, sort of chasms between the haves and the have-nots at every level. Christy Dosh has been our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at SportsBizMiss and uh, check out her stuff over at BusinessOfCollegeSports.com, Forbes.com as well. A, a great mind, a great writer, and a great guest. Thank you for coming on the show this morning, Christy. All the best. Appreciate the education and the perspective. Thank you so much for having me.